Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Well, if you have a bulletin, go ahead and pull it out, or if you've got the app, a device, I'm a, we're going to dive right in. And so if you've got a bulletin and something to write with, I want you to write down one phrase that I think keeps resonating throughout this morning, all right? So if you've got something to write with, Crayola, mascara, Sharpie, blood, whatever you have. I thought that'd be funny, but it wasn't awesome. We are wrapping up... Uh, you are here. This is a week five. So if you've missed any of this, I want to encourage you to go online to sugarhill.church and just click on resources. You can listen or, or watch the archives. But we've seen God do a great work. But today, the major theme of this morning is this one phrase. I'm going to ask you to write it down. And, and here's the phrase. When you know how the story ends, when you know how the story ends, it changes the way that you live. When you know how the story ends, it changes the way that you live. And so let me just use these guys as an example. So you hear Duncan talk about life for an HIV AIDS patient without community, without a proper diet so that they can, they can physically take the meds that are freely available to them. Without those things, the end of their story is two to five years. So when you think the end of your story is two to five years, that affects the way that you live. And so their testimony, and we've seen it firsthand, is somebody without hope and without community, they basically just stay in their house waiting to die. Because when you think you know the end of the story, then it affects the way that you live. But then you listen to Cornell, and Cornell says, well, if they'll get into this program that is nine months long, and so they take the worst of the worst, the sickest of the sickest, those that are closest to death in the community. So in our case, in Kisumu, uh, they, they welcome them in, and through that course of nine months of having a healthy diet, learning a skill so that they can make money to take care of their family, so that they have spiritual hope and healing, that end of the story changes from a life expectancy of two to five years to 25 years or more, or in other words, a normal lifespan. And so when you know how the end of the story could be, it affects you to say, I'll do whatever it takes, right? If that could be the end of the story, I'll do whatever it takes to help 80 families per year. I'll help those families experience hope because when you know the end of the story, it affects the way that you live. Well, this morning we're in Daniel chapter 6 as we wrap up. You are here. And Daniel 6 is a powerful chapter of Scripture because in this chapter, what we see is Daniel thrust into a crazy situation. So if you're here week one, we said that one of the things that we learn is that our circumstances don't determine the closeness of God. Our circumstances don't determine the closeness of God. Well, Daniel in chapter six experiences that again. In Daniel chapter six, he's uh, been rising up to leadership. In Daniel chapter six, he becomes one of the leaders of the land. And in Daniel chapter six, some guys begin to attack him. And so in our walk, there's gonna be seasons where our character comes under attack. In our life, there's going to be moments where we're attacked for what we believe and how we live. It's just going to happen. I mean, as a person that says yes to Jesus, as a person that says, I want to live for him, in the middle of that moment, attacks come. It's going to happen. And so instead of us being shocked by that, instead of us feeling like we've been ambushed by that, what I want to do is I want to describe 
what is true about that attack. So if you've got something to write on, something to write with, I'm going to ask you to jot these down. Or if you've got the app, you're welcome to follow along. But uh, we'll put some of, the, some of the verses on the screen as well. But here's what I want you to know about the attack if you're taking notes. Number one, here's what's true. It's caused by someone you know. Whenever we come under attack, it's not from somebody random. Whenever we come under attack, it's not usually from somebody that doesn't know us, that's a stranger. When we come under attack, it's caused by someone we know. And that's true for Daniel. I mean, look at Daniel chapter 6, look at verse 1. So in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, the king's name is a guy named Darius. Here's what it says. It pleased Darius to set over the entire kingdom 120 satraps. And so he's appointing leadership within the kingdom. And so he's got 120 satraps, and then it says to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, he had three officials, one of whom was who? Daniel. So Daniel's a guy in leadership. Daniel is one of three that's appointed by the king himself. This is major promotion for him. This is major promotion. And so he's serving in this leadership role. And yet in just a few verses, those same people, that part of that 120 that he's serving with, those are the people that want to have him punished. If you don't know Daniel chapter 6, this is the chapter of the lion's den. And so the people that are attacking him, number one, are people that he knows. If you're taking notes, let me make two observations about that. The first observation is, A, it matters how we live. It matters how we live. Whether we realize it or not, people are watching us. Whether it's at work, whether it's when we're in our neighborhood, whether it's... uh, uh, the stuff that we're posting online or the things that we're seeing, people are watching us. And so the the great temptation is to think, well, it doesn't matter how I live. The great temptation is to compartmentalize our lives and say, well, this is how I live on Sunday mornings, but it doesn't affect the, the way that I live the rest of the week. I'm saying it does matter. It matters how we live. So A, it matters how we live. And then B, if you're taking notes underneath that first point, don't give your attackers any ammunition. Don't give them any ammunition. See, what happens for Daniel is these guys try to come up with a way to attack him. They really do. I mean, when it comes to Daniel, they're they're trying to figure out how are we going to trip him up? How are we going to mess him up? What are we going to do? And yet when they start looking at his life, they're like, man, when it comes to politics, he's got it together. When it comes to serving the king, he's got it together. So for them, they had to make something up. So big point number one is it's caused by someone we know. And then number two, if you're taking notes, it always comes before a time of success. It always comes before a time of success. Here's what I mean by that. Usually when we're attacked, we're moments away from a God thing. Usually when we come under attack, we're moments away from God showing up in our family, God showing up in our home, God showing up in our lives, God showing up in our church. Usually right before that moment of promotion, that moment of God doing just a major God thing in our life, right before that happens, we're tempted to compromise. 
We think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. But when you, when you look at Daniel's life, here's what happens. It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 2, that as Darius is looking at all these leaders, as Darius is looking at this kingdom, Darius decides, I'm going to make Daniel the second most important man in the land. That's a major promotion. I mean, if you remember Daniel chapter 1, Daniel started in this book as a captive. Daniel started as a hostage. Daniel started as somebody that was taken away from his homeland. But when you look at this verse on the screen, here's what it literally says in verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished. He became above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And then listen to this last phrase. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So what I want to say is be ready. Be ready because sometimes when we get attacked, we think, well, maybe God's not in this at all. Maybe God's not at work. And what I want to say is on the flip side, maybe you're on the front end of a God moment. Maybe you're one step away from that breakthrough you've been praying for. Maybe you're one step away from seeing God at work, but we're tempted to compromise. So number one, it's caused by someone we know. Number two, it comes before a season or a time of success. And then number three, this attack is crafted or it's created with a subtle shift in mind. It's created, it's constructed with a subtle shift. Here's the shift. They come and before the king, they're trying to figure out how can we trip Daniel up? How, how, how can we trick him to, to do something that makes the king angry? So they come up with this law. They come to the king. They say, Darius, let's, let's put a law into place that says this, that says if anybody prays to somebody else besides the king, then they'll be thrown in the lion's den. Darius, being, a, being you know, having his ego strokes, like, well, that sounds like a great idea. If somebody prays to somebody else besides me, let's throw him in the lion's den. What he didn't know is they're setting up Daniel. And so the king signs this law. He signs this decree that says, hey, you cannot pray to anybody else. Well, what, what did those peers of Daniel know? They knew that Daniel prayed three times a day, that Daniel would open up the windows of his room facing Jerusalem, and publicly he would pray. The subtlety of this is Daniel could have still prayed. He would just have to do it privately. And that's how subtle compromise is in our life. The subtlety is, well, I'll still do the right thing, but I'll just sort of bring it down a notch. I mean, I'll just, Daniel could have just prayed while he's lying down. He could have just prayed with the windows closed. But here's what Daniel 6 says. It says he kept doing as he had been doing previously. So what do you do with that? Number one, it's caused by someone you know. Number two, it comes right before a season of success. Number three, it's crafted with a subtle shift. So number four, here's the answer. It must be countered strategically. It must be countered strategically. So Daniel doesn't just throw in the towel. Daniel doesn't say, well, I guess I can't pray. It says that Daniel got up and he did what he had always done. Let me ask you a question. If Daniel knew the consequence was being thrown into a lion's den, if Daniel knew the consequence of praying publicly would be his death, why would Daniel still pray? How could he do that? 
right? How could Daniel walk with confidence? How could Daniel confidently open the windows of his house? How could Daniel still pray publicly? Look right up here at me, because when you know the end of the story, it affects the way that you live. See, Daniel knew something. God had revealed dreams and visions and the future to him. In Daniel chapter 2, he interpreted the king's dream. And the king's dream was basically these four kingdoms are going to fail. One day in the future, there's going to be a kingdom that lasts forever. See, Daniel knew how the story ended. Daniel knew that Darius may be in charge right now, but he's not going to ultimately be in charge. And that's what we need to recognize. I don't know if you know how your story ends, but when you fast forward to the New Testament, here's what the Bible says. Maybe you're not going to be thrown into a lion's den, but here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith. See, I think sometimes we forget. We don't know how the story ends. So we get overwhelmed by our circumstances. We get overwhelmed by the attacks in our life. But Daniel knew this is not how the story ends. This isn't the end of the story. Daniel recognized there's going to be a kingdom that lasts forever. Let me just fast forward. Revelation chapter 5. This is a glimpse. This is a picture of the end of the story. Here's what it says in Revelation 5 verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. It was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy to break its seals? And no one in heaven and no one on earth or under the earth was able to open it. They weren't even able to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And yet it doesn't stop there. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. This is how the story ends. The story for Daniel doesn't end in a pit with lions. The story for us doesn't end with some struggle going on in the here and now. See, here's what John sees in heaven is that, that yes, there may be lions in our life right now, but there is the true lion. And when the true lion roars, every other lion flees. That's our king. And so John sees the end of the story so much so that in John, in Revelation 21, he has this picture of the end of the story. He says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we feel so defeated in our current, current we, 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 we feel so beat up. He says, but I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is how the story ends. The story doesn't end in the pit with a lion. 
The story doesn't end with the defeat that you're feeling. Here's here's how the story ends. Verse 5, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is how the story ends. See, all series long, we've been saying, you are here, but the end of the story is not here. The end of the story is you are there, right? If you know God personally, you're in heaven with them. The way the story ends is in his presence where there's no more night, there's no more darkness, there's no more pain, there's no more scars, there's no more brokenness, there's no more funeral processions, there's no more graveside services, there's no more broken marriages, there's no more orphans that have no hope. In the end, he says, I'm making all things new. And so when you know how the story ends, it ought to affect the way that we live today, that we'd have hope, yeah. That we'd have that kind of hope, that kind of expectancy, that the story has a huge ending. And so I wanna pray for us this morning. As I pray, would you just quietly stand with me? And as we pray, this morning, if there's never been a moment that you've asked Jesus to step out of heaven and step into your heart, as we pray, would you do that today? That's the greatest thing that could happen. Today, if you're a believer, but man, you just feel so discouraged, so just down about what's going on in your life. Would you ask God, God, would you help me to have a glimpse of how your story ends? Father, I pray all across this room that God, you would just move in our hearts. God, would you stir within us this hope, this expectancy. God, would you help us not to settle for some temporary part of our story, but God, would you help us to be part of your story of making all things new. As we pray, if there's never been a moment you've put your trust in Jesus, Would you just pray this part of of the prayer with me? It doesn't matter if you say it the way I do. What matters is your heart. Would you just say something to the effect, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me, rescue me. If you pray that for the very first time, the teaching of scripture is that you've been saved. If you pray that for the very first time, I'd love for you to hang out after the service or shoot me an email, bobby at sugarhillchurch.com so that we can encourage you and put some resources in your hands. But if you're already a believer, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Dear Jesus, Help me to see how your story ends. Would you help it to affect the way that I live? Father, thank you for hope. We look forward to that day that you wipe away every tear. But until that day, we trust you this day. We pray that you would be present in the middle of the pit with us. 
and help us to find strength in you. It's in your name I pray. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.